Hello, and welcome to the Rothwell Center for Teaching and Learning Excellence podcast. Our mission here at RCTLE is to empower faculty members in their pursuits of professional growth through diverse offerings for the universal goal of student success. Each episode will offer insight into best teaching practices, new resources, and interesting people here at Embry-Riddle Worldwide. We hope you will find our show to be helpful and enlightening. Happy listening! So today we have a very special guest on our podcast, the Dean of the College of Business here at Embry-Riddle Worldwide, Dr. May Sharma. How are you today? Doing great. Uh, good morning, Caitlin. I'm doing wonderful. How are you? Good, good. We go ahead and jump right into it. Tell us a little bit about your background and how you ended up with Embry-Riddle Worldwide. Yeah, so my background is pretty interesting, uh, I think to me at least, Caitlin. <laughs> Not sure others will find it interesting. So I have a strange mix of degrees and backgrounds. So, for example, my, my parents immigrated, or we immigrated, I immigrated uh, when I was 16 to, to the U.S., to Alabama, uh, to the state of Alabama. You know, that was a, a switch, uh, to say the least, uh, coming here to, to the state of Alabama. So that was interesting. Alabama itself, I, I have two degrees. My undergraduate uh, is in petroleum engineering. And then I ended up really quite by accident uh, as, a, as a doctoral student in finance. And that was, that was interesting because when I graduated with my undergraduate degree, it was smack in the middle of the session. I was new to the country, didn't have any job. So we were sitting around with a bunch of friends having tea. We were all just kind of saying, hey, what are you going to do? And uh, when it came my turn, they asked me, what are you going to do? And I said, I have no clue. <laughs> so, you know, and they said, why don't you do a PhD? And that's how I ended up in a PhD because it was, it was a guaranteed employment, if you will. So I ended up there, not because finance was interesting to me. It, uh, it wasn't. I was really interested in medicine. So when I got my first assistant uh, professor job right out of grad school, I actually hated higher education. <laughs> <laughs> so it was just very interesting. I did not like, you know, I'm just a different, uh, different, slightly different kind of a person, I think, than most of uh, the academics. Uh, so I thought the most academics are a bit more, you know, a lot more risk averse, and I just wasn't a good fit. I was a very young PhD uh, that wasn't comfortable for me. And uh, so anyway, I, within my first semester, I wanted to resign and go back to medical school or go to medical school. But my wife who was pregnant at that time. You know, I had other ideas, so so I kind of stuck around. So from that journey, assistant associate, full professor, director, assistant dean, a dean. Many of those positions were up north, and we have two kids. They were both uh, now grown up uh, four or five years ago. They both went to school, Purdue and IU. And once they were done, we were from south, as I mentioned. We immigrated to Alabama. We wanted to come south. And just said, you know, we're just tired of the snow and the cold and being cooped up. Uh, so we were, I was looking for opportunity, and then this opportunity at the Riddle Worldwide came up. It was quite attractive because the online virtual and sort of asynchronous environment, that it, which I've never been part of because I've always been face-to-face. So the combination of state of Florida, the warm, Embry-Riddle, a name that I recognize from engineering days, and yeah. the allure of just getting into a completely relearning the, the online, not relearning, just really learning the online environment for the first time, the award, uh, that was just too much to pass, and I've been here about four years, uh, and have enjoyed every single moment of my that's amazing. I mean, I'm so happy you made it to Florida. I am a big Florida fan. I'm a native Floridian. One thing 
I wanted to mention is you discussed being a different kind of academic, which I think is really coincidental. When I interviewed Dr. Witcher, he also said something very similar about himself, how he doesn't feel like a traditional academic within the higher education space. And what I think that being a different type of academic or not a traditional academic at first, at least, is really beneficial to our college in particular, because you guys have so much field knowledge and other experience to bring to the table rather than just like this institute world of higher education. So I think that that's wonderful that at first it wasn't necessarily your, your thing, but now you have found a passion for it. Yeah, now I'm all in. And the way that I'm different from Dr. Witcher in, in this way, I mean, I, I, just, I know his background, yeah. great friends, but mine is, you know, I, I was a pure academic. I was like, you know, everybody else. You go to school, you go to grad school, you do your PhD, you get plugged into the classroom, and suddenly you're supposed to be this know-it-all uh, kind of a function. And I'm, you know, finance guy, and I was just petrified that, you know, that when I taught my MBA classes, and I was 26, and, uh, and I just said, dang, I mean, I don't know nothing about how to run a business. And so that kind of launched me because I, I felt really inadequate, and that launched me into the sort of business world, and I've, I've had my own ventures and, and so on. So. That's been a great learning experience. And from really that part of my background, I've learned a lot of what I practice in, in my role today and or in the previous roles, which is being really, really market-centric. And, and you know, when you go to private organizations, they don't remain steady because if, if you remain static and so on, you get rolled over and you, you cease to exist as an entity. So, so a lot of my, I think, passion and the way of thinking really comes from that second background that I just shared with you. So, uh, but, but today I'm all in, I'm all yeah. academic and, and so and I'm enjoying my journey. With all of that in mind, things are rapidly changing in higher education. Last year, this year, things are just very different. So what do you believe to be the future of higher education? Well, that's a great, great question, Carolyn, because that's actually something that's really near and dear to my heart. So foremost, I, I believe, uh, you know, uh, if you, if you look at, if you take a slice of the last 10 to 12 years of my academic career, since uh, when my daughter first went to Purdue, and from that point on uh, to today, I have conducted myself as a faculty or as administrator or so on with, with, a, with a philosophy that's basically, you know, that education needs to be more portable, it needs to be more accessible, and it needs to be more personalized. So in other words, it needs to be democratized in, in some way. And that's a word that I've used quite a bit. And because right now it's none of those. So I think what I see in the future of higher education is that that if, if I presented to you, and this is coming from my business background, if I presented to you as an example, any industry which had high costs, which was inefficient, which were which is slow, slower moving, and which did not serve or does not serve the needs of the market in a holistic manner, and I'm talking about higher education as a whole, not under riddle, higher education as an industry, then what you would do is, you know, what would happen is you would have, you would, those limitations would give birth to competitors and new, uh, new players who would come in and disrupt the entire industry. That happened in automobile, that happens in virtually every industry. And we're seeing that happen in higher education today. What's happening is you have platforms that have come up, you have coding academies that have come up, Coursera, EDEX, which was recently bought out by a private entity for $800 million. And so where the market I see is going is quicker. You know, how can we learn better? How can we learn quicker? 
I mean, for example, I ask basic questions. Why do we have to have 120 credit hours? What's the, what's the mathematics behind it? What's the logic behind it? Why do we have to have, for example, 36 contact hours in a semester for a particular course? And I understand that SACS and HLC and accreditation agencies require those. But really, if you ask somebody, why 120 credit hours? Why not 110? Most of us, myself included, wouldn't be able to give you a great answer. You know, we're just going to say, oh, because it's accreditation. So, but the market doesn't care for that, right? And the upcoming generation doesn't care for that. What they want to do is they want to learn. They want to learn in an efficient manner, in an affordable manner, and they want to be market-centric. They want to absorb skills that allow them to grow and get placed uh, in the market so they can continue their journey. I see a future of higher education that will be in, in a sort of a modular, quick-hit format. The courses that are shorter courses, not necessarily 15, 16 weeks, not even nine weeks long in many cases. They will have more meaningful construction. You know, right now, degrees are basically assembly of courses and every degree, engineering, which, which is where I came from, business, arts and sciences. I see in the future of higher education where the courses are constructed where there's a team, right? You want to go through a module one. This is what you want to learn. And how can you use that knowledge to go into the market and be self-sufficient? That's, that's, that's a trend that I see. I see a trend which is much more skills-oriented. That doesn't mean that we forget about how to problem solve, how to think critically, all of that. But whatever those skills are, they have to be done faster, more efficiently, more quickly, and more meaningfully. So I, I think uh, that the future of higher education is shorter courses. I think they're modular in nature. I think they're going to be much more skills-based. They're going to be much more personalized. What works for Caitlin doesn't work for Manish necessarily. I can't really imagine this. You've been a student. When you, when you took your courses, you were plugged into a course, a class, and there was no match between you and the professor, right? You could have had Manish when I was 26 as your professor. How tragic would that have been? <laughs> no, I'm sure it was great. So, so, so it, it, it's kind of like that, you know, do you learn at your own pace? Do, you, do these assignments make sense to you? Maybe you come from a different background. Maybe a little bit of a different assignment makes sense. Giving you the freedom to navigate within a course, that's important. Giving you the freedom to align your interests with the interests of the professor who's conducting the class, as an example. A lot more personalization. I think that's where the education is going. You can see the rest of our lives. Everything in your smartphone, it's personalized, right? Your grocery, your food, your clothing, your medicine, your everything is personalized. Why not higher education? The driver behind innovation sometimes is questioning those norms. So I like what you said about why 120 credit hours? Why are we making these students stay here for so long and pay so much money and really offering them a one-size-fits-all education when it doesn't have to be like that? And I think Embry-Riddle is ahead of the curve in that way already anyway, but that's a really great thought process, especially with the idea of personalization, because if we're going to charge students so much money, the least we could do is give them that really personalized experience where they feel like we are catering to them and their needs. Do they want a shorter program? Are they in it for the research? What avenues do they want to take? So I think that's great. I really do hope that is exactly where higher education is going. That is, uh, I have no doubt that you know, your cars, your, your everything around us is becoming much more personalized. Your ads, the, the things that you see in Facebook, Google, everything is personalized, right? Because you're not interested in what what interests me, you're interested in what interests you and your yeah. family and so on. So uh, I think that's where 
ultimately education will end up being. There are going to be some core principles that you would have to know, I would have to know. But beyond that, you know, you just, what fits your needs. And, and I think you're absolutely right. One of the reasons I'm here is because Google has been, has been quite innovative. We're doing some fantastic stuff, but we're just like any other business, any other industry. Yeah. We're not going to stop changing. We're going to continue to do more. We're going to continue to evolve. That's what I find exciting today. Yeah. And with those changes in mind, I think that leads us perfectly into our next question. In an effort to achieve Embry-Riddle's goal of remaining industry focused, the College of Business is starting a new Stackable Courses program in the August term, which is coming up. Can you tell us a little bit about the Stackable Courses and what makes this a desirable option for students? Yeah. Uh, you know, another great question, Kimberly. So, you know, we just talked about personalization. And if you looked at our degrees, which, you know, which is like other degrees and frankly, at other universities. So, you know, there are 2,000 odd business schools in this country, and most of most of those schools are pretty similar. An MBA here is pretty similar to an MBA at UF, which is pretty similar to an MBA at Miami and so forth and so on state. What we wanted was to give our students a much more personalized and, uh, and much more focused academic experience. So number one, our new degrees, are connected by a theme, which is uh, a theme of higher reliability organization or risk management. Those themes kind of filter through the, the three degrees that we, get, that we will be launching on this one, a couple of weeks away uh, from today. We're the first school that will do that in the country, that will have a theme base. That's number one. The second aspect was that we wanted our MBA, our MSM management, engineering management to be much more meaningful. We just didn't want to, as I mentioned before, slap a couple of courses together and say, hey, Caitlin, you're on your way out. So the, the theme that we have, our students, when they get out, they will get out with a very strong foundational knowledge of enterprise risk management that they can use that gives them a very solid platform from which to jump to the market uh, when they're looking for a job. Number two, so it's very focused, right? So when students get out, from module number one, they'll, be, they'll have a great foundation in risk management. When they get out from Module number two, they will be focused and they'll have great foundation in an MBA, for example, for business concepts and what it does, or engineering management or management. And then speaking of personalization, our third module, it's entirely up to a student, whatever he or she wants to study. So they can choose, just because they're doing an MBA, they can choose from HR to risk management to analytics to logistics to whatever it is that they want to do. And the same applies to other programs. And lastly, I'll say this. You know, we didn't want students to just simply say, you have to matriculate into the program in order to take these courses. No, you don't. What you can do is you can come in from really from the back door, as it were, and take one of our certificates, uh, which is these courses, and hopefully you like the experience and you'll pursue a degree. But even if you have an MBA degree, even if you have a management degree, even if you have an engineering management, you could still come in, not be a quote-unquote student per se, and you can pick up an academically credential certificate in an area that you want to be skilled, for example. So if you are an MBA in finance and you want to study analytics, you can come in and you can just take the analytics certificate and be on your way and move up in your organization. So what are we doing? We're giving students flexibility. We're giving them focus. We're giving them skills. And we're letting them personalize their educational experience, much like what we just talked about in the previous segment. 
this new development is really exciting because it really gives more people the opportunity to get the Embry-Riddle experience without necessarily, you know, having to matriculate like you uh, mentioned and being able to take that certificate and apply it directly to their career field and being very skill centric. I just think that that's really forward thinking. Yeah, it's it's and it's interesting. There was an article, I think it was Thursday or Friday's Wall Street Journal last week. There was an article, and it was mostly about graduate degrees at different institutions. But the, the gist of the article was that students go through or something like, are graduate degrees worth it? And the point was that uh, people go to grad degrees, they end up with huge loan amounts, and they're not able to place themselves into the market. You know, some, some schools, some private schools, Degrees can cost upwards of two, three hundred thousand dollars. And when you're not getting a job that is meaningful and you're having to work three or four jobs just to pay the interest of that loan, you can understand why there's a bit of conversation that goes in the broader world. Is it worth it? Are what we're doing, it's our responsibility here, and yours and mine together, to make sure that people understand the value of every little degree and what we give to them. Because if there, there are lots of questions that are being asked in the, in the world today. Is higher education worth it? Should I just go and skip higher education altogether? Should I not go to university? Should I just go to a coding academy, as I mentioned, and spend six months, learn Python, R, and be on my way? You know, why do I have to spend whatever, $100,000, $150,000? So that means the burden is on you and me and everybody else to say, this is what we're giving you. And in our stackles degree, we are very, very explicit. Hey, you come to this degree, these degrees, these are the skill sets that you're going to be getting, and these are your choices, and this is how you can, these are the market values that you can be placed at, so for example. So we put together a great better value proposition, which is much more transparent and much, much easier to navigate. And I think that these stackable courses are just going to add to Embry-Riddle's reputation of being the best. And that leads into our next question. Embry-Riddle Worldwide was ranked number seven in best online bachelors and business programs, which is the highest rating we've had in this category yet. And there was also a 60 rank increase for the MBAA program. What do you think has contributed to this rise? First, I want to say hats off to everybody who's at Embry-Riddle, you know, just hands off from our faculty, you know, who at any university are obviously the lifeblood of any academic institution. So everything starts with faculty. So hats off to College of Business faculty, hats off to the support staff, hats off to your division, to my senior leadership, the people who I report to, Dr. Watrats and the provost and the president. Hats off to everybody because the the effort and the focus that they put into it, you know, it's not just the number seven for the BS. In, in business, number one overall for campus and everywhere. So we've done this you know, repeatedly over the last seven, eight years in number one and number two. For specifically to the business programs, yes, the our undergraduate in business administration, you know, your own ranking is number seven. Awesome, right? I mean, yeah. this is like, I, I was just floored when I heard that. So, and then, you know, in the four years, our MBA has gone up from like 140, 150 now into 81. Which, by the way, we are the highest ranking ACBSP school in the U.S. world news. The highest, wow. right? So from, from another point of view, we're the number one ACBSP ranked MBA program in the country uh, wow. in that sense. If you include other accreditation agencies, that puts us at 81. But, you know, we're still, so we made a 60-point jump in the last four years. And our non-MBA programs are 41 in that range. So what has contributed, obviously, as I mentioned, is our great faculty and staff because their investment, their investment, 
invested in student success. They pay attention to all of uh, our students' needs and requirements. And certainly our focus on data centricity has helped. So we try to collect data occasionally. You wouldn't believe the amount of data that we try to collect. Anything and everything. And our institutional research does a fantastic job. And every day we, we look into some more data, uh, we collect that. So I think it's our focus on the student welfare, student experience. I think our faculty who are fantastic, who are invested in our student success, our leadership team, the university leadership team that is focused on excellence. So when you put all of that, and then you put a crazy person like me in the middle of it, you know, who's, uh, who's sort of always, you know, our goal in the college business is to be better tomorrow than we are today, always. So we're never going to be satisfied. So. You know, we're going to continue to make those progress. So collectively, if you put the entire team and the little ecosystem together, that's what's uh, given rise to the number seven ranking. And I'm so, so proud, so tickled. And, you know, one last thing I'll say about this. What do these rankings do? So I use two words. These rankings give every little prominence that's, that's needed, that, that every academic institution sees. And by prominence, but I mean, you know, how many other higher education institutions know you? So the higher the ranking, that's in the academic world, that's the prominence. So, you know, it's giving us higher degree of prominence, something that we as the college of business have set as one of our goals four years ago. And we're going to continue to see higher and higher prominence, which means we'll continue to work harder and harder in order to make sure that we continue to move up. I like how, even though Embry-Riddle has achieved that level of prominence, that we never seem to be resting on our laurels. There is always this culture of looking ahead, responding to the students around us. What do they need? What do they want? And always trying to be better, which I think is wonderful and only pushed forward from our leaders like you. So, you know, a big congratulations to you because that's a huge, huge accomplishment for the College of Business. Yes, it is. Thank you so much. But again, the credit goes on just one person, the credit goes to yeah. our, our team, the leadership team, certainly the faculty in college. But thank you. Yeah, it, means, it means a great deal. Let's talk about faculty for a little bit. Here at RCTLE, we are a faculty serving group. We are here to coach our faculty members, to help them in any way that we can, to make sure they're able to provide a personalized education to their students and really continue on that mission that Embry-Riddle has set out. So what are some key things our instructors can do to make sure that students receive an education that holds up in the field? We just talked about rankings, right? And in that previous segment, I mentioned how integral uh, of a role faculty play in, in getting any institution ready. Ultimately, we're in a knowledge distribution business, and it's the faculty who are distributing that knowledge to our students. That's plainly how I look at it. So we've done a lot of great work, but, uh, but there's more to be done. Uh, so for instance, our faculty, you know, we have a, a sort of obsession, if you will, with uh, student success. We want to be crazy about student success um, uh, and, the, and the, the student experience. So how we can always get better is to know our students better, you know, to, to speak to them on a more personal level. I mentioned a couple of segments ago that I see personalization as the future of higher education. And instead of having a bunch of students plugged into a course, Tatumi being one, Manish being the other one, and so on, I want, uh, I think I want our professors to know our students much more intimately, which is, who is Tatumi? What are, what are her interests? What are her goals or objectives? What is, what has been her academic performance to this point? What are some of the limitations and stress points, if you will, for one of our students? And, you know, we, we've started on that journey. We, we, we launched 
a COV initiative, a dashboard, for example, that's now published throughout all the three colleges, and it publishes the academic information about a student. So a professor today can go look at it, and they have been looking at it just to say, okay, what does the student's academic profile look like? What is his or her GPA? How many years has she or he been in the system? You know, what's the major? So that way, when you speak to somebody, you don't say, hey, nice knowing you. You just say, no, Kaylee, you know, you've done great. You're a 4.0 student, and you're, you're, you're really moving at a rapid pace. Congratulations. I'm here for you. Makes this conversation, that makes that same interaction much more personal, right? Much more intimate and, and much more engaging. So that's, that. you know, I want our faculty to do that. We've taken a year, about a year to produce, thank you to the IT team, produce this technology dashboard. It's there. It's in Canvas. It's in every single course. And they should use it. So that's one. And over the next uh, two or three years, you will see much more innovation come to the dashboard. We're working on those uh, as you and I speak right now. That's one thing. The second thing is, you know, ultimately, we're in the business of sharing knowledge, as I said, right? Still, the construct of education is a professor and a student. We're not robotic institutions where we plugged in something on YouTube and you watch it and, and none of that. So I want our faculty to be in the classroom, teach, just teach. You know, be yourself, you know, be the human being that you are, be the human being that people expect you to be from the student side. Just be in the classroom and lecture. There's so many ways you can basically lecture this medium. That you and I are on Teams. You can record yourself on a team. Stick that into Canvas. You can do a quick mobile phone video. Put that in. Do a quick Zoom video. Put that in. Be the professor that students expect you to be in the classroom. We have, of course, you know, Dean Boo, who's just joined us. And one of my messages, one of my battle cries have always been in a sense, technology doesn't really matter. Yeah, it, it makes things easier and all of this stuff. But ultimately, it's the human to human connection. I think our professors. We all can get better. Uh, not that, you know, we're number seven ranked, so obviously we're doing something good. We're number one ranked overall, we're doing something great. But what does that mean? Does that mean we just stop here and do nothing else? No, we can be better. We can be more personal. We can know more about our students. We can care more about our students. So, and lastly, I'll say this, you know, you can't be an effective classroom performer if you don't know your subject, right? I mean, so burden on all of us, and that's why in higher education, you have to know your field. Have to know your discipline, and then you have to communicate that effectively to the class. So it's it's a two prong approach: know your subject and know your students, and to communicate that effectively. And be a be a professor in the classroom. And, and it doesn't have to be face to face. You and I are not face to face, but we can still have this effective conversation that we have. Yeah, absolutely. And that is something that we are constantly coaching faculty through is the personalization aspect. Let them know about your background, where you worked before, where you know, where you're working now in some instances, and what experiences that your students can expect when they enter the field and get to know your students just the same because that's oftentimes, especially in an online medium where there's no synchronous components at all, that's really, really important to kind of humanize your let them know that you're a real person, and that's going to breed some sort of buy-in with your students, and then they're going to start seeing why an education at Embry-Riddle is really valuable. Uh, absolutely. You know, uh, Kevin, I'll say it in a very simple way. I, mean, I challenge every faculty to say, if a student runs into you in public, they should know, oh, you're my professor in the classroom, right? You should not be off-site, off-mind, and that way, you know, we become more engaging with our students. The students will become more engaging with Embry Riddle as a whole in the future. And uh, so I think and that's the kind of bond and connection we want an obsessive uh, 
the sort of connectivity with our students. And the only way, the only people who can build that bridge are our professors, right? Because I'm not in the classroom. Uh, I don't teach in the classroom. I'm not a professor. If, if we become more human, uh, human, more engaging in the classroom, I think that will certainly produce for a much, much robust and positive student experience, even higher than what it is today. And it's not bad. I mean, it's, it's, our students feel great about it, but we can take that leap higher. Lastly, to kind of wrap everything up, what are your final thoughts that you would like our listeners to know about the College of Business? You know, I think when people think of College of Business, I would hope they would think that this is a, first and foremost, this is a, this is a crazy fun place to be, a faculty, a staff, and a leader, because, you know, we are risk takers. You're, you know, if you're, if you're one of those people who wants to experiment, who, want, you know, who wants to take a risk, come join our team. You know, we're, we're the right place. We are pretty much an R&D shop, which is happening to be living in, in higher education. So we've done lots of innovative things, stackables, the dashboard, and, uh, and many other things that are coming up. Uh, those are examples of that. So it's a it's a fun place to be at. Uh, I think innovation and entrepreneurship is is in our DNA. And if you if you get off on that, then come join our team. Uh, we're a fun bunch of people. We're intense. We work hard. We take no prisoners. But what you know, our motto is: we want to be we want to leave an imprint on higher education. You know, and we want. We think we want to be the agent of change in higher education that I spoke about previously, which is where do I see the future of higher education? I don't want to follow that. I want to lead that future. Mm-hmm. And that's 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 what the College of Business is. And I think that we're on the path to leading that charge for sure. I think the pandemic, if it showed us anything, is that Embry-Riddle really is kind of one of these leaders in online education. So there's still lots of ground to be made up, but I think that we're doing a great job. Absolutely. And, and thank you. To you, your staff, RCTLE, and everyone else, none of this work would have been possible without the help and guidance of all of you. Or as they say in Alabama, all y'all. All (laughs) y'all. Yes, exactly. All right. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Sharma. It's been a pleasure. Of course, uh, Kenny. It's been my pleasure, and I hope to see you soon here. That's all we have for today, and thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. If you have any questions or even suggestions for topics you'd like to hear in the future, feel free to leave a comment below or send an email to rctle at erau.edu.